So this morning, church, we're going to continue in our study in the book of James. And if you have your Bible, you can open it up to James chapter 1. And uh, we're going to pick up. Last week, we spent 35 minutes roughly talking about one verse. Uh, this morning, I plan to do the same thing. But we're going to talk about, about six verses. Uh, and, and I promise you, I, I plan to get it done in the same timeline. But man, I, I believe that God has such, such, good, uh, such good for us this morning in this text and what he's got and in, in what he's just revealed to James. Remember last week we talked about James being the half-brother of Jesus. And, and our main focus, our sermon, our sermon in a sentence last week, was that faithful living begins with humility. Understanding who we are and where we are and stepping into the spaces that God's called us to. And, and so this morning, you know, this whole study, we've titled it Working from Victory. And it's this idea of everything that we do as a Christian as we walk in life and step in the spaces of life. It's done from this perspective that Jesus has provided a victory. And that everything that we do, the things that we say, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way we treat people, the way we view people, is all from this perspective of victory that Christ has guaranteed for his people. And so in, in, and in James, you know, the book of James is so different than most of the other books in the New Testament where it's laid out a lot like the book of Proverbs, where it's almost like laid out in this, these little one-liners and these tidbits of wisdom that James is giving to his people to understand really how to live day-to-day -day life, how to face day-to-day -day things and what that looks like. And this morning, church, is no different. And, and this morning, what you'll see is we'll begin a conversation that will be a common thread through the whole book of the Bible, of, of the whole book of James, really. And, and it's how to deal with day-to-day -day struggles of life. And how, and, and then the influences that push us to act certain ways. You know, and through this book, we're going to talk about our active living faith presented out in the world around us. How we view people and treat them. How we use our tongue to talk about our two people. And like I said, and this will be kind of the common phrase throughout this entire study, that our perspective determines our progress. The way we view things determines the way we move through those things. So our perspective determines our progress and how we move. And so if, if I had to define this, this sermon this morning in one sentence, it would be this, if we could put that on the screen just so that you could see it. The, the one sentence that determines, that, that kind of sums up everything that we say this morning is this. is when life presses against me, it is not meant to overtake me, but propel me into strength and maturity. I'll read it for us again. That when life presses against me, it is not meant to overtake me, but propel me into strength and maturity. To move me into these spaces where I grow, to move me into these spaces where I'm, I'm walking more confidently, more maturely as a believer in Jesus, as a child of God, to be able to step into those spaces and be able to work and live from a perspective of victory. And, and as I, I thought about this, at, at this pressing against, I, I started to think about the word claustrophobia. You know, I, me being a nurse, a lot of things that, little illustrations that come to my mind tend, tend to be medically based. And so uh, the, the, this idea of claustrophobia, maybe you have this, maybe you've heard of this. It's one of the most common type of phobias or fears. And, and this idea of claustrophobia is the fear of confined spaces. Okay, it's this fear of being pressed in without an exit, without, without a way out of this space that I'm in. And a lot of times you see these type of people, they always want to be near an exit. They always want to count all the exits. They go above and beyond to make sure that if they need to get out of this confined pressing, that they have a quick exit from that 
space. You know, they're going to avoid elevators. They're going to avoid crowds. They're going to avoid classrooms with no windows or rooms with no windows. They're going to avoid these spaces because of this feeling of this pressure. And so for us in our life, just for me personally, you know, going day to day to day, for us, life is a roller coaster of tight situations. In reality, everything that we experience in life is this roller coaster of pressing and letting off, of pressing and letting off. And so in reality, we live in this constant state of pressing of maybe even a sense of this claustrophobia, like this fear of not being able to exit this pressing that I'm in. And what I hope this morning, what we see from James, what he's teaching us practically, is about this pressing, that in our life, as we feel this pressure, as we feel this pressure, pressing, that it is not about us avoiding those pressures, because if you've lived life for a millisecond, you've understood that some situations, there is no avoiding them. You don't even put yourself in them most of the time. A lot of times we just look around and we find ourselves in these spaces that we have no clue how we got there. And so that it's not about, avo- about avoiding them, but it's about enduring them. And that as we'll read this morning, that trials are less like a disaster. Okay, they're less like a disaster, and they're more like an escape room. Okay, that the things, that, the pressings that we experience, they're not always, they're not disasters. They don't have to be disasters, and our perspective does not have to see them as disasters. But they can be, and they should be, more like this idea of an escape room, Right? And I don't know if you've experienced what those things are like. I'm not very good at them because I'm not very smart. But the idea of these escape rooms is that you go into this space with an obvious exit. There's always a way out. You can always quit at any moment that you want. But the point is not to quit, right? The point is to fill out that space. The point is to search. The point is to look for a way, not how to get out necessarily, but how to progress. And so our life is very much like that, church. Our, our life is very much like this, this idea of, of feeling out this space that we're in, this confined space, feeling it out and looking to progress. And even in the idea of, of this escape room, a lot of the progression comes when we have people rallied around us to help us, right? That we're not meant to do this on our own. And so this morning, I want us to see three things from James that he tells us in how we deal with the trials and the pressing of our life. How we deal with the difficult circumstances that we'll see from the text, not if they happen, but when they happen, and how we navigate those things. And I w- would like, if you could, to pull, get your Bibles, whether it's on your phone, on the screen, or if you have one in front of you, and read with me James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Starting in verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Church, the first thing that I want us to see this morning from the text as we navigate the pressing of our life is this, that we would engage it. That we would engage the pressing, the pressing and the trials and the things that, that, that come around us, the, the difficulties that we experience, that we would engage it. In verse 2, the first thing he says, he says, he says count it. Count it all when you meet trials of various kinds. And so this word count it in some other translations may say consider it, may say think about it, may say add it up. And so it's this idea of when we come against these, these difficult situations that we're not ignoring them, which is if we're honest with ourselves, the natural thing that we want to do whenever difficult things come against us, whenever these trials, whenever these situations come against us, that our natural reaction is maybe if I pretend like this thing isn't going on in, in my life around me or within me, then maybe it will eventually go away. But if we're honest, those things never do go away, right? They just amplify they just build up from within us until they swell up so much that they debilitate us. And so what James is calling us to do is he says, consider it. Count it. Think about it. Count it all. You know, there is, there is encouragement to consider, to evaluate, and to acknowledge the space you're in. That when you meet it, that it's not if, but it's when. He says, when you meet trials. And I love, I love when the Bible is general. Because I believe that if, if we read the Bible and the Bible is very specific about certain things, then we would say, well, he's talking about this specific thing, not necessarily the thing I'm going through. But what does he say? He says, when you meet trials of various kinds, when you meet different trials, he doesn't say when you meet this specific type of trial or this specific type of trial, he says various kinds. And so he's kind of casting this net over anything that you can think about that presses in against you in your life or makes you feel this sense of claustrophobia, like I'm not going to be able to escape this that I'm going through, whether it's internal, whether it's external, whatever it might be. James didn't want to limit the writers, be limited to his personal experience. You know, and so for us, what we have to do is we have to consider, count it, engage, engage it, engage it, engage it. Admit that you have a problem. Admit that there's something you're going through. I, the, the common phrase that I hear people constantly say, specifically in their spiritual life or even just in their social life or their, their married life, whatever it might be, a lot of times it's the word funk. I don't know why, but a lot, and I've even used that word before, right? And maybe you've used it. I'm just in a funk right now. But a lot of times it takes, it takes a lot to get someone to the point where they can admit that. Because we don't want to admit that we're struggling. We don't want to admit that we don't have it all together because the world tells us that, that you're supposed to have it all together. You know, and so a lot of times, especially in a social media age, and we'll talk about this a little bit next week, but in a social media age, we want to paint this picture like our lives are all together. You know, the, the Instagram picture that we put up a lot of times is manufactured so much that it took us 500 tries to get this very specific picture of our family standing in this very specific way that looks like, oh my gosh, that family is so cute, when milliseconds before that, it was complete chaos. You know, and if you could hit the, you know, I love that, that uh, the phones now, they have that live picture thing. Like, have you ever gotten a picture from somebody and you press it and you hold it down and it kind of plays past it a little bit? And it, I mean, it, you can really see what things were about because it's like the second of like smiles and then everybody just freaks out and it's just like the complete chaos. Uh, maybe that's just me. I don't know. But if you have enough kids, then, then, then you'll understand that. And so, church, let's stop playing that game of making it seem like we have it all together, because we don't. The moment Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, he outed us all as messed up. 
We're, we, there's no sense to hide anything. He says, count it. Consider it. Consider what you're going through. And so moving on from that, he says, not only to consider it, but to consider it all joy. And so as I read that, that, that blows my mind and, and just puts me in this place of like, there's no way I can ever do that. Because a lot of times when we see the things that we, we experience, when we go through these difficulties, joy isn't our first reaction, right? Usually it's we're disgusted, we're angry, we're dissatisfied, we're bitter. But what does he call us to? He says, but consider it joy. Joy being gladness. Joy being rejoicing. And so how do, how do we do that? How do we count our trials? How do, and, and I want you to understand when I say trials, I'm not talking about temptations. Okay? And when I say trials, I'm not even necessarily talking about something that you've brought on yourself. When, I talk, when we say trials, this phrasing that it's talking about is almost like this idea. This idea of, of not a step-by-step descent, but a plunging. This unexpected place that I've found myself in. These things that are outside of our control that we don't understand how we got here. That's when I talk about trials. Now, it can be things we've caused for ourselves. But I want you to hear both sides of that. That it may be places that you never would have thought you would have ever been and you've just ended up there. Some type of, of stresses, some type of situations, some type of worries or anxieties, whatever that might be. A lot of times we don't know how we've gotten there. And so how do we count those things as joy? One of the things that I've learned is that you can only count joy in trials when your joy isn't in the thing being affected by the trial. Because it's difficult to count trials as joy when the main source of my joy is in the thing being affected by that trial, right? I love my family, but my main joy can't be in my family because my family you know, is, is the most important thing in the world to me. It's the thing I spend the most of my time with, but a lot of trials come from that. Right? A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of stresses come from that. So my joy has to be outside of my family. You know, my job, I like my job. I love my job. But to be honest right now, I am stressed to the max with my job. My joy can't be from my job. Because when the trial, when that's the source of my trial, I won't be able to find joy there. My joy has to be outside of that. You know, when what we love and find joy in is in the middle of the trial... We will be robbed of joy and we will have to find joy outside of the effects of the sinfulness and hurt. This proverb I read this week was just so good. Proverbs 13, 8. It says, The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Like, I want you to hear that from the, from the perspective of dealing with trials and the things that we find joy in, the things that we see as valuable in our life and the things that we elevate to importance. He says this, he says, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth. How many of us are held ransom by the things that we see as important outside of the Lord? Our jobs, our families, our money, our comforts, our conveniences. When those things are elevated, when those things are our wealth, when the trials come, we're held ransom by those things. We can't grasp those things. We feel like we're losing touch with those things. We feel like we're failing at those things because those things are our main source of joy. And now they're being ransomed from me by this trial that I'm experiencing right now. 
He tells us that the ransom of a man's life is his wealth. But the poor man, the needy man, the man that understands that I have nothing to gain, I need of nothing, he says he hears no threat. When the joy in our life is elevated above the world, elevated above the things that, that we see as so valuable in it. Not that they're not important. But when our joy is beyond those things, there is nothing to hold us ransom. And that we hear no threats from the enemy. When the enemy whispers into our ears and says, for me, you know, hey, you're not a very good dad. You're not a very good husband. You're not a very good, uh, you're not a very good nurse. You're not a very good pastor. You're not a very good preacher. You're not a very good disciple maker. Like when he whispers into our ear and our joy is found in these things that we're working out, that we're doing these battles that we're living, he begins to ransom the wealth from us. And he tells us, he tells us, you'll never get it. You'll never accomplish it. You'll never be comfortable. You'll never be successful enough. You'll never be good enough. He whispers these things into our ears. But he tells us that if we would lay down before the Lord and surrender and understand that we are in need, but the needs that I gain are not from the wealth so-called that I have, there is nothing to ransom us from. There is nothing that he can bind us down with. But he tells us as we continue to engage it, in verse 3, he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Three words that you know, that you know that testing, it produces something. That as we engage, as we engage our trials, we can understand that it's not for nothing. A little double negative for you this morning. That it's not for nothing. And that only comes through faith in Jesus. Without our faith in Jesus, everything, every struggle, every issue that we go through just seems like it's nothing. If we're just from, a, from different worldviews, if we're just molecules in motion, then, then every heartache and, and issue and struggle I go through is one, is because just, just the cards that I've been dealt or because I'm a failure or from other religious worldviews, it's because you're sinful and it's because you've not done enough good. But he says no beyond that. Know something beyond that. Charles Spurgeon said, Trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. St. Augustine said this, Trials come to prove and improve us. The trials we go through are meant to produce something in us. They're meant to do something with us. They're not just meant to hurt us. They're not meant to, to contain us. They're not meant to shackle us. We have to have, you know, we have to have faith that the Lord is holding on to us. You know, as a Christian, and, and as a Christian, it's not just believing that the Lord is holding on to me, but it's also as me as a Christian holding on to the Lord, holding on to who He is and what He's laid before me. And that requires that faith being present because the reality is trials don't produce faith. Trials don't produce faith. Trials test faith. Faith is tested by trials, not produced by trials. And so faith has to be present before the trials come. 
And, you know, and it's not that, you know, if we hear that and we're in the midst of a trial, that that means that faith can't interject in the midst of that because God tells us that his light shines, breaks through the darkness. And so it doesn't matter where we're at. Faith can enter into the picture. But we have to understand when the trials come, if they want to produce something, it can only produce something from a place of faith. It can't produce something from nothing. And so God is, is if he's pressing us, if he's pushing us, it's because he's trying to make something out of what we already have. Because the reality is, if we really understand it and we really settle into it, that the way we learn is pain. The way we learn most is pain. I mean, think about it with our kids. Think about it with ourselves. The way we learn is pain. But there is promise in the process, and, for, and it is, is God is for our good and He's for our growth. We have to understand that. As we engage trials and we begin to understand it, that there is good for us in the midst of that and growth that he intends for us in that. And that there is no reality where maturity comes separate from difficulties. There is no reality where maturity comes separate from difficulties. Any growth that we experience comes with pain. If there's going to be these pains that we experience and go through that are because we're growing. Anything we gain in our physical life is accomplished through stress, right? We stress our muscles and they grow. We stress our bones and they become stronger. We stress our mental capacities and we learn more. And also understanding this, that anything, anything that is removed is not let go of without a sense of pain. You know, this past week, um, my youngest came home from playing at the park and he came home and he had a, he had a splinter and it was a good one. And I don't know about you, but as a parent, I love to push on things or pull things out of my kids, right? Uh, at the expense of, 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 of their poor little hearts that get broken. But so he comes in and, 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 he, and he's kind of upset because he has this it's a pretty big splinter in his hand. And so we're looking at it. And so me and my wife being uh, nurses, but also hypochondriac parents, we're like, well, we got to take care of this because if we don't take it off out, it's going to get infected. And if it gets infected, we're going to have to cut his hand off. And then he's going to have a nub. And then as he grows up, he's going to struggle in life. So we've got to take care of this right now. And so we pick him up and we put him on the counter. And obviously, like any kid, they don't like the situation. They don't like that you're having to do this because he wants it out. He doesn't like it, the idea that it's in there. But what he doesn't want is the pain that comes along with removing this from his hand. And so what do we have to do? As a parent, I hate, I hate to see my kids hurt. I mean, and, and then that's our job, right? To protect our kids from the hurts and the pains that they experience, to help them learn and help them teach. But just like we said earlier, Sometimes pain can't be avoided if we want to see progress. Sometimes pain can't be avoided if we want to see things removed that will inevitably hurt us or destroy us or take from us. You know, and so for us, we had to lean in. We had to press in on him and, and, and work on it for a while. And you know what? And he cried and he snotted. And I, I believe me, I was this close several times just saying, let's just stop. We'll figure it out. But we pressed through that and we removed it from him. And so not only did we remove it from him and, and he, we fought through that pain and he fought through that pain and he didn't fight us too bad, but then we showed it to him. 
Look, we, we got it out. We removed it from you. Church, and God does the same thing to us when he presses into us, when these trials, these things that we're experiencing, maybe he's either growing us through something or he's pressing on us to remove something from us that is killing us. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our selfishness. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Whatever it might be that we have built up within us, when we begin to be pressed by the Lord, I truly believe it's because he's trying to remove something from us. He's trying to remove something from us that if we allow to stay there, it may destroy us. It may break us down in in who we are and what what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. And so, in church, the the promise that God has for us, just like we did for our youngest, is, is, is look, I'll show you to you. Look, we got it out. God wants to do the same thing for us. God's not pressing you for no reason. He's pressing you to grow you maybe even to remove something from you, and at the end of it, you know what he's going to say? Look, this is what I did. This is what I did. And think about how much better you are now. That's what God wants to do with us. And so the second thing this morning, and I've talked way too long in the first point, so we're going to move a little quicker. But the second thing this morning is that not only would we engage it, but we would pray through it. That we would pray through it. I know that sounds kind of hokey and religious, but like I, I, I want us to really hear this. Anytime we pray, we are acknowledging that we are in need. Anytime we pray, we're acknowledging that we're in need. And so he says in verse 5, he says, If anyone lacks, if anyone lacks, let him ask God. If we lack, and specifically he's talking about wisdom, and we'll get to that here shortly, but he says, If anyone lacks, let him ask. And so for us, trials help me. For me, when I experience trials, when I experience the pressing, it helps me recognize and remember and be aware of my needs, of my vulnerabilities, of my weaknesses, bringing me to this place of dependence. You know, and one of the thing, and the thing that he says specifically, you know, for us, when we have everything we want, you don't have your mindset on the Lord. You have your mindset on you. But when we experience the pressing in that mindset, when things go bad, we begin to blame God. We begin to get angry with God. But he's pulling us away from that. and He's asking us to ask for something. What are you lacking? He says, you're lacking wisdom. You're lacking wisdom. So what is wisdom? The thing that we have to understand about wisdom is wisdom is different from answers. Wisdom is the map to the answers, not the answers themselves. You know, how often have we wanted to go to the Bible or go to God in prayer and be like, God, just show me something. Just show me this very specific answer to this very specific situation so that I can walk confidently through it. Very seldom does God reveal himself in that way. A lot of times he gives us the wisdom to navigate a situation to reach the answer. He doesn't, because what we, what we would do is we would get the answer to this situation and then bail out. And then what have we learned from the situation? Nothing, because I got the answer to it and I moved away from it and then I didn't have to experience the, the, the pressing. I didn't have to experience the trial. But what God wants us to be praying for, pray, God, give me wisdom, not to ex- exit it, not to avoid it, but to walk through it to make it through this pressing that I'm going through, through this trial that I'm experiencing. We don't ask for the answers to escape, but the wisdom to make it through. You've placed me here, Lord. Now lead me through it. That's our prayer. Understanding that I need a light. I need a lamp to my feet. You know, and I loved hearing this past weekend, uh, a a man said, you know, the, the light doesn't shine out ahead of us, so we see what's in front of us. It's a light to our feet. It's a light to every step that we take. That's as far as we can see. We want to know the future. But our hope has to be in something beyond us, that we're working from victory, that we know Christ has already been there. And he said, ask God who gives generously. We understand that God gives his people generously. 
God is a giver, church. He's not withholding from us. He wants to give to us. He wants to give us the peace that we seek. He wants to give us the guidance and the confidence that we ask for. He wants to give us the wisdom to find the answers to the trials and the situations and the struggles of life that we go through every single day. He wants to give those things to us. He asks us to ask. And you know, when he doesn't ask, it says there that your faith would be uh, perfect and uh, what he's is telling us there is that God wants us to give what we need to endure, to grow, to make sense of what's going on. And, and God isn't asking us to have perfect faith, as we'll talk about here in a minute, but and not even a big faith, just faith in general. Because we know that the Bible tells us we have faith of a mustard seed. That is tiny faith. God has not called you to have a gigantic faith. He's just saying, have faith. Have faith. You know, and I'm reminded of, of the situation with the, the, a father who had a son who was sick. And he came to the disciples and, and he brought him, brought him before Jesus. And Jesus said to him, if, uh, the, he said to Jesus, he says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who, uh, Jesus said this to him, all things are possible for the one to believe. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, he wasn't not believing per se, but his faith was small. His faith was small. Church, God honors the fight. You know, there's a lot of times that we don't have the faith that we think we need, this big, gigantic faith to accomplish this task. All God says is, bring me any faith. Bring me any faith. And what did God do, or Jesus do for this man? He healed his son because of his tiny, tiny faith. He said, I, I believe, but help where I lack. Help where my faith struggles. Church, sometimes we need to go before God and say, God, I have faith, but there's part of my faith that is completely broken and little. Lord, help me with that. Church, he honors the fight. He honors the struggle. He honors the grasping. He honors the reaching. Go to him for that. So the last thing this morning, that not only would we pray through it, but church, that we would grow from it. That we would grow from it. That we would understand that the things that we go in through are not wasted. Job is one of the greatest examples of trials and, tempta- and trials that he didn't deserve, that he didn't ask for, that he didn't even understand why they were happening to him. He just found himself plunged into this space. And this is what Job says in Job 23.10. I think it's one of the greatest verses in, this, in that book. He says, but he knows the way that I take. Talking about the Lord, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. When he has pressed against me, I shall come out as something better than I was before. He's not saying I was gold before and I'll be gold after. No, he says I wasn't gold and now I will be gold. Because of this, this trial, this situation that I found myself in, this, this stress, this anxiety, this worry, this bad situation that I don't even understand how I got here. He says he, this is not wasted, that he will use this situation, that he will press it up against me. And at the end of it, he knows where I'm at. God knows where you are. He knows where you're struggling. He knows where you're fighting to be the best parent you can be, the best employee you can be, the best husband, the best wife that you can be, the best church Christian that you can be. He knows that you're pouring yourself out. He knows where you are. And he says, in this pressing at the end of it, you will be gold if you will endure it. Keep moving. Grow from it. Understand that it's not for nothing. It's not wasted. And what does he tell us in verse 3? He says this, testing produces steadfastness. This word steadfastness in other translations would say patience. I think patience is a good word for us to understand that. Patience is a sign of maturity. And that's what he's trying to develop within us. Patience to endure, to not give up. The frame of mind that endures. Immature people are always impatient. 
We know that because our kids being immature as, as adults or as, as human beings, they are the most impatient people in the world. And as we grow up as adults, the reason Amazon Prime exists is because we are impatient. We still haven't quite matured. We want everything now, right? I don't want to wait on it. I want everything now. And so in, in, maturity is visible through patience. And so that's what God is trying to create in us. He's not trying to give us a quick escape through the things that we're going through. He's trying to develop patience within us. Because in reality, the lack of patience, the lack of patience is a sign of our pride. It's a sign of our selfishness. It's a sign of, our, our, of, our, of, our, of all the sin within us that leads us away from the Lord. And it's showing from within us when we are walking through this space of impatience, it's showing from within us that our faith is not in a hope beyond this moment. A few verses for us to end off with this morning. Romans 8, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The, 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 the sufferings are not worth comparing to that that is to be revealed. Paul is saying that I haven't even seen it yet, but I have confidence beyond this suffering that there is something there. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And in the world you will have tribulation, you will have trials, but take heart. I have overcome the world, working from victory. Confidence in who Jesus is. Romans 8, 25, uh, 8 22 through 25, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who, are, who have the first fruits. That as children of God, we have the first fruits, the firstborn, the first inheritance of the Spirit. They groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons of the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with, the, with patience. With patience. Patience is a sign of maturity. Romans 5, 3-4. Last verse. It says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope beyond the hurt. Hope beyond what I'm experiencing. Hope beyond where I don't understand. Verse 4, he says, let steadfastness have its full effect in James. Church, there's, an, there's, there's this place within us that lets this happen. You know, we can fight against this process. And James tells us to let steadfastness, let patience have its full effect. Step into this with the Lord. And this perfect does not mean sinless. It means complete. It means put together. That's, God, that's what God is preparing within us because He wants to remove us from being these type of people. In verse 6, He says, A wave driven and tossed by the wind. Think about waves as if they're unstable. Waves are without rest and they're unpredictable. And what comes with a storm is wind. And so church, when we're not tethered to something, when our hope is not in something beyond ourselves or beyond the things that we have in our life, when the storms of life come and those winds come, we will be tossed around. We will be unsettled. We will be without rest. We will be unstable. And what God is trying to grow us from is this person in verse 8 of James 1. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Faith says yes, but unbelief says no. Literally translated, this is a heart divided. 
And so he says this double-minded person has a heart divided between God and the wealth of the world. And that our wealth is being ransomed, being used against us. So when our hope and our joy, when everything we depend on is in the wealth of the world, we will be held ransom and be hurting. And we will be impatient. And we will not see the point in the struggles that we're going through. We will not see growth from that. Ephesians 4.14, Paul says this. He says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So church, what do we do? How do we, how do, we do this? Three things that I want to leave us with this morning and then we'll take a moment to pray. Landon, if you could come up and just pray for a minute. I mean, play for a minute and pray. But three things that I'd ask us to consider this morning, consider doing in our life as we face the trials that inevitably you are experiencing right now. There's a trial, there's a struggle, there's a situation that you are experiencing right now that I pray you would move through them in this way. First thing is honestly admit that you're in a trial. Maybe some of you have done that. But honestly admit. Because remember, being bitter does not make us better. And so acknowledge. You know what? I'm in a trial. Be honest. Understand your lack of control and the power over the circumstances outside of where you, you have power. Understand that I'm in, I'm in a tough situation. Acknowledge it. Engage it. Honestly admit it. The second thing is humbly seek, the, seek help from the Lord. Not to escape it, but to move through it. Seeking that wisdom. Praying, God, give me the wisdom that I need not to avoid this, but to grow from this, to learn from this, to move past this. And the last thing this morning, kind of on the same idea, is allow yourself to grow through difficulties rather than give up. Church, I pray you wouldn't give up. Whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, know that if God has allowed you to experience a trial in your life, it is because He sees something in you worth developing or something needing to be removed. And God is working on us. God is, is hands-on with us like, like a potter, the Bible calls Him. We are the clay. And He is constantly working on us. We're like a canvas and He's the painter. He's constantly working on us. He's perfecting us. He's completing us. And you know what? You'll never be perfected or completed in this lifetime. And so don't think that, well, I've never reached it if I'm not complete, if I'm never perfected. Until you're, you're resting in a glorified body in the presence of a heavenly Father, you will never be completed. You will always be broken. You will always have struggles. You will always have trials. You will always have worries. You will always have anxieties. You will always have failures. You will always have needs. But it's us going through this process of engaging the Lord, seeking the Lord, and allowing Him to grow us through it that leads us to these places of maturity, praying, God, remove from me the pride. Remove from me the selfishness. God, remove from me my lust, my anger, my hatred. All these things are product of our impatience. God, give me patience. God, give me patience to trust in you. God, give me patience to walk with you. God, give me patience to be led by you in whatever path I'm on because I remember and I know. I know that you know me. You know where I'm at. You know the way that I take. And that when you've tried me, I shall come out as gold. God is working on His church. He's working on all of us. Can we bow our heads and, and just have a few moments?
And I pray that you would consider your trials this morning. I pray you would consider where you're at. That thing this morning that you came in worrying about, that thing that you came in from this week that's been pressing on you. Maybe it's in relation to your family, to your workplace, to your spouse. Maybe it's to this church. Pray this morning. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom to see that in the midst of this, you're doing something with me. That you're either growing me, you're maturing me, or you're working to push something out of me. And I pray that your prayer this morning would be like James tells us to let that happen. Let God do that. Let God do that work. Trust that He is doing it for a purpose he has a plan, that he has a promise in the midst of the trials and the pressing that we experience, that we would be reminded that when life is pressing against us, that it is not meant to overtake us, but to propel us, to move us towards strength, to move us towards maturity, growing within us patience, to not be overcome and overtaken about the things happening to us and around us that maybe we can't control. Or maybe even things we've caused for ourselves. I pray this morning that you would seek Him in this moment right now. God, give me the wisdom to not avoid it, but to move through it. something that is perfect and complete. God, that we are the canvas that you're painting on. God, that we are the clay that you are molding. God, then that you have so much you want to do with us. God, and we know like we've sung this morning that your promises still stand. Great is your faithfulness. And 
God, at some point or another, we've seen you move. God, and that you've moved mountains. If the only mountain we've ever truly seen you move in our life is the mountain of of moving my sin and my shame and my, my struggle away from me, God, through the blood of Jesus, God, help me be reminded that like our kids are learning this morning, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, for that broken world. God, you gave your son for us. God, that you are so faithful to us when we don't deserve it. God, help us remember that. And God, so that in the middle of our trial, we can know that it is not wasted, that you have not forgotten about us and that you have not left us to ourselves. God, that you are doing something with us. Father God, we love you. God, I, I pray for humility this morning. I pray for courage this morning. I pray for confidence in you and hope in your faithfulness this morning. Father God, we love you, Lord, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name.